economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We also have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, my fellow producer and graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right. So Peter wrote an article here in Fee, just came out this week. Um, so if you look back the last few weeks under Dr. Jacobson, under Fee, you can find it. And to give a little background, here at the Gortney Institute, we believe that the government probably causes more harm than good at this point. Like if we look at today's government, there's good economic theory and other reasons to question at a minimum that intervention by the government may not lead to the desired outcomes that maybe we all share. And so it's different approaches in the economic profession of whether government should continue to have interventions, be kind of activists in some way, shape, or form to try to mend social ills, uh, or if we're actually better taking a step back and letting private avenues try to address those social ills. And so I think it's fair to say that there's different angles here and good economic theory supporting both. And Peter, you had some interesting findings uh, that uh, the economics profession overall seems to be leaning towards a little more government. Yeah, we're all a bunch of socialists. Uh, that's the the short of it. And so that... And the, On average, yeah, there's a couple at the margin, like in this room, that sure. might think differently. Yeah, it's, it's an old, like, famous story of an economist, Ludwig von Mises, where he was at a meeting of a bunch of ostensibly free market economists, including the likes of, like, Milton Friedman and others. And they were discussing why, you know, certain social safety net features might not be the worst thing or something like that. And Mises was giving the good consistent answer of no this is actually all bad and we should be opposed to it and he's famously uh, noted for storming off saying you know that well you're all a bunch of socialists <laughs> and so i think this is basically uh rings true uh, a lot more than it used to my look at this data when i first saw the data i i started off being halfway surprised because my like pet issue for those who haven't listened on the podcast a whole lot is i'm really concerned about the concern about population growth I think population growth is generally a good thing. I think it leads to good outcomes in general, not that we should force it or anything like that. But I think historically, if you look at uh, what's been done to try to affect population, it's been that governments have by and large tried to stop population growing. And so I first looked at that question and economists, had, on my view, improved their answer. They're less concerned about population growth than, than they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That actually could just be because population is going to cap out at 2100. And so maybe views haven't actually improved, but I was going to take it regardless. <laughs> and, and let's let's just kind of unearth that one a little bit more. So population growth from Thomas Malthus was we're somewhat doomed. Resources are scarce is kind of the old yeah. uh, party line of economics. And so we have limited resources, but yet... If the population grows faster than resource growth, then what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Yeah, right? and, yeah. And that's the issue with the, population growth. That's right. In the 80s and 90s, it was a big concern we were going to run out of food. And of course, the Green Revolution happened with agriculture and food growth exploded. And so all these worries <laughs> fell away. 
And, you know, serious people don't worry about population growth right now. There are plenty of unserious people who don't, but <laughs> we're, we're going too far down one rabbit hole. I decided I made the mistake of glancing at the rest of this survey. I was very happy with the survey and then I read the rest of it. And so the survey is composed of lots of questions. I think there's more than 40 of them. I, I have it kind of right up here in front of me. Yeah, so it looks like 46 questions and they range all over the place. But one of the nice things is we have from every decade since the 90s, we have answers that economists give to a lot of these questions. And these are professional economists, like Russ mentioned, part of the American Economic Association, the AEA. A lot of professors, but there also could be just professional economists that work for a big corporation. Or exactly. Something. Yeah. Someone who is uh, a, member of, a member of the AEA is doing cutting edge research that they want other people to see, basically. But mostly academics. Most yes. Likely, so. I, I would. Yeah, I'd say mostly probably like 90 percent <clears throat> academics would be my guess if I just had to throw it out there. But I noticed some trends, some unfortunate trends. There's lots of like questions here. In other words, there's questions that you can kind of group together. And so like one set of questions deals with, for example, what economists call fiscal policy. Fiscal policy, you can think of as taxing and spending. That's a little simplified, but it's the easiest way to say it is our government has to tax. Well, it doesn't have to tax, but our government taxes and our government spends money. And people have different views about fiscal policy. Some people think, oh, we should have more taxes. We should have less taxes or we should have more spending, less spending. And they hold like combinations of these things. We want less spending and more taxes, or we want less spending and less taxes. There's all sorts of any uh, combination of these sorts of things. And what we see is several questions where economists over the years have gotten more comfortable with spending more, and they're actually less, less comfortable with the idea of letting people keep their money. They're, they're happier with the idea of bigger taxes. And so, for example, one of the statements was, a large federal budget deficit has an adverse impact on the economy. What that's saying is for a particular year, if you have a lot of government spending in excess of the amount of revenue that's brought in, then that's going to have a negative impact on your economy. Right. So you have to borrow in order to pay for that spending in a given year. And, and I have to admit, I gave a talk here at Ottawa early on in my tenure back in probably 2012 or 2013. And I basically argued that deficits don't bother me. Any one particular year of a deficit doesn't bother me, but my big punchline was, we've been doing this for 40 years and we don't seem to be able to stop. And so that it can be pro any one particular deficit in a given year on the face of it to me wouldn't be a problem, but this accumulation of deficits and the pattern and the trends that you're identifying here in your, in your story is really the heart of the problem. Yeah, and I think that the key word in that survey is large. And the, the way that I can tell that that's probably what is impacting people is in 1990, 86% of economists agreed, yes, a large deficit is probably bad for the economy. So in a, even in a given year, just having a large deficit is going to have some adverse effects. Nowadays, there's still a consensus, but it's very light consensus. Nowadays, we're up to, uh, or we're down to rather, only 61% agreement on that. And so we've dropped again from... 86 to 61%. Another statement, again, dealing with fiscal policy is that the level of government spending relative to GDP in the US should be reduced. And it says to disregard stabilization. But basically what the statement is saying is that we need to stop spending so much relative to the amount of money that's going around in our economy. And so government needs to play a smaller role in the economy relative to the size of the economy is what this statement is saying ignoring things like economic crises. That's what the little parentheses say is disregarding expenditure for stabilization. So let's ignore financial crises, economic crises. Should we have government play a smaller role 
1990, the majority of economists said yes. 61% said yes. Government is too large of a percentage. Today, where the percentage is about the same, it's fluctuated throughout the years up and down, but we're about the same as we were in 1990 right now as a percentage. 25, 20 to 25% of our nation's income, adding up everybody's income, roughly 20 to 25%, I believe, is the government spending. I think number. it was something, it's fluctuated between like 19 and 30. And, you know, I yeah, think, I think yeah, it's spiked up during different times. That, that, yeah, exactly right. And so we, we had a majority of economists agree that we needed to reduce that spending percentage in 1990. Now in 2021, 43%. It's actually a minority. And so the majority of economists think that we're totally fine spending the amount that we're spending right now. Let's, uh, Peter, what, what, what's the problem with deficits as you see it? So a lot of economists are saying, oh, deficits are fine in a given year, or it's not going to be that big of a deal. But what, what's the argument back of why it would be a deal that you would not agree with? Yeah, so there, there's a lot of different reasons you could target. My, my two main concerns are, first off, deficits indicate actually that the government is spending a lot of money. <laughs> so, so that's that's the, the first key feature is that the more that go- government <laughs> spends money, the more markets for goods and services they're interfering. There's in. a certain level of irresponsibility almost right on the face of it. Yeah. And, and well, it disturbs what I would I would describe as relative prices. And so the market decide the market gives us information about how scarce things are by having prices. If suddenly an oil rig blows up somewhere in the middle of the sea, the price of oil is going to rise. That's good. If there's less gasoline, we want it to cost more for people to buy it because that means they're not going to waste the the lesser amount of gasoline that still exists. And so that's good. Prices are a good thing. The problem is when government's involved with spending, they're buying and selling things, basically. They're buying and they're providing services. That changes the prices in the market. So it distorts those signals about scarcity. So that's one reason I dislike budgets. Another reason is from a, a moral perspective and from the perspective of someone who has kids. Oh, good. I was hoping you're going to wrap in faith now. So yeah. we've got morality. Maybe Justin's ready to pipe in with <laughs> the moral questions. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Justin would be one to speak to this too, is sometimes people say, oh, debt and deficits, this is okay because we owe it to ourselves. But in reality, that's not really true because there's people who are 60 years old right now who aren't going to be paying back the spending that we're doing right now we pass deficits off to future generations. And so as someone with kids and as someone who cares about the future in general, it makes me really uncomfortable when we are having large deficits because what we're doing is we're kicking an increasingly large can down the road for someone else to pick up and deal with. So those are the two things that my brain immediately goes to. Yeah, I don't know, Justin, prices. is it moral for us to pass the buck down to unborn babies? It seems okay to me, but... Uh, yeah, well, it's because you're immoral. <laughs> no, it's not. I also think that sometimes these discussions among economists like ignore the fact that the average person just intuits that you can't spend more than you make, right? You you really need like a PhD in economics <laughs> to think that somehow this is going to work out correctly. So I, it's alarming, you know, that statistic was 86 percent to what did it go down to it was i believe you're the the first statistic was 86 percent when it comes to the deficit it was 61 percent well which statement i guess 86 said it was bad and then in 1990 the large deficit yes 86 to 61 so a big like 20 point 23 point swing yeah you just i mean you ask anybody who actually you know who doesn't have a phd in economics and (laughs) does actually budget for their own households and they'll say like of course what you know a state a state has to be governed in the same it has to 
abide by the same economic rules that a household does. Yeah. And so, oh, but you don't understand. It's very sophisticated. Well, uh, let, let's let's do the population growth. No, no, let, let's do the steel man <laughs> argument. Here's the steel man. The best response, I should say. That's just what I mean by steel man rather than straw man. The best response is. Well, when households know that their wealth is going to go up in the future, they actually do borrow today. And so like if you know that you're going to school and you're going to have more income, like maybe you're going to school to be an engineer and you're going to have more income in the future, you borrow today because you have, you're going to have that future income. So you shouldn't live like a poor person today if you're going to be rich tomorrow. And so the argument is, oh, great. Our country is also going to be richer in the future. And we can't really borrow from those future people in like a normal way. Like we can't, you know, travel into the future and ask for a loan. So what we do is we just spend and have a deficit and then we repay in the future. Yeah. And this isn't a terrible argument on its face, but of course what it misses is that if you have this persistent problem of large deficits, then actually there, there's no, you know, there, if you're constantly kicking the can down the road, then there's not going to ever be any repayment. Right. And and didn't the, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the survey ask if it was large deficits, even in time, like not in times of war? Or was that the other question? That, that was the other question. Okay, never mind yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. And then there's an interest rate effect too called crowding out that has mixed mixed reviews. I'd say over the last 20 years, it's been mixed because the Chinese have been funding a lot of our deficits and kept interest rates artificially low. So you got the government borrowing and you got uh, the Chinese lending to us. And so that kind of offsets some of the negative effects. But I think those are going to come to roost. Now. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Russ, that... The big problem actually with this sort of mentality is if you say, well, we're going to have more income in the future, and then you actually do something to undermine the income you're going to have in the future, like crowd out private investment, which is what happens when you borrow because there's only so many funds available to borrow. And so when the government's borrowing, private companies can't. It drives up interest rates. Yeah, it drives up the interest rates. It it stops long-term projects that would have happened otherwise. These are things that are undermining your future growth. So it's kind of like if you borrowed money to get a degree that would lead you making less money than if you didn't go to college at all, right? I, I think that's the place we're at. And the, the trend that you're seeing as economists are less concerned about that. One last uh, fiscal policy thing that I, I want to talk about before we move on is for a long time, uh, even like the managerial class of economists have believed that maybe the best way to deal with uh, recessions and depressions is kind of to let monetary policy handle it. Obviously, you know, there was the Keynesian revolution and fiscal policy was used a lot then. But if we look at one more statement about fiscal policy, which was, here's the statement, management of the business cycle should be left to the Federal Reserve. Activist fiscal policy should be avoided. What that statement is saying is we shouldn't spend our way out of recessions and depressions. We should allow the Federal Reserve to basically give money to private banks to get out of the recessions. That's yeah. kind of what's behind kind it. Kind of don't don't leave it to the president and Congress to make those decisions. We're better off leaving the economist at the Federal Reserve right. make those well, decisions. Aren't, we're still spending our way out of the recession, right? It's just that the spending isn't being done by the federal you, government yes. directly. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it's not Congress spending. It's the Federal Reserve allowing banks to have more loans yeah. and then the people spending with those loans, which, by the way, I still dislike that. But that's that's what the statement is. The statement is saying, well, we shouldn't use fiscal policy to get out of recessions. We should just use monetary policy. If you assume the second part of the statement, I actually agree with the first part of the statement. Don't use fiscal policy to get out of recessions. It doesn't work. It's, it doesn't have a good track record. In the year 2000, this was the first year that, that economists were asked this question. 72% of economists agreed with this. Yeah, so Overwhelming majority. Yeah, yeah. In the year 2021, 
Amazing swing. Only 33% of economists now agree with that statement. They think we should actively let Biden and Trump and the people of Congress make these changes and that'll help us out. Yeah. That is insane to me. That that was one of the bigger ones that I thought that is just crazy. Yeah, the, there's an increasing faith, I think, in our ability to, to fix the world through these different policy channels. So real quickly, because it seems like we have three options here. One is like, don't engage in monetary or fiscal policy. Yes. One is to engage in fiscal policy and the other is to engage in monetary policy. Correct. Right? And what I'm hearing you say is that most economists now say, that we ought to engage in fiscal policy, right? Yes. And- Admittedly, this, this question is a little ambiguously worded. You could read, and again, here's the statement that economists were agreeing or disagreeing with. Management of the business cycle should be left to the Federal Reserve. Activist fiscal policy should be avoided. It could be the case in like maybe a, a bizarro world if that economists are saying, actually, we shouldn't leave business cycle of the Federal Reserve either. We disagree with that. And so we disagree with the statement. In reality, if you look at the attitudes of the profession, that, that's not why the swing happens. The swing happens because now economists believe that fiscal policy is relevant factor too. So yes, is the long answer or short answer. So would I be right in thinking though that both of you as economists, because this is my preference, I, I don't like fiscal policy. I don't really like monetary policy to get out of this either. I prefer neither. But given the choice, I would prefer monetary policy rather than fiscal policy. I think Uh, there's less moving parts and less lags with monetary policy. And so, yeah, I would agree with that. If I had to pick, if I had to pick between the two. And you rely on individuals to spend according to their own preferences rather than a fiscal policy, which is just... I, th- I think I, I think I'm kind of indifferent between the two okay. personally. Yeah, because they they both can have like similar. They both uh, distort relative prices. You think cash for clunkers was less distortive than than a mysterious. You think the worst indication that we're going to yeah. drop well, interest I, I mean, rates? Or... There's a, there's an interesting question. Did All we... right, let's let's that, that looks sure. like a good cliffhanger. Okay. We got to let Peter try to come back on that one. Sure. You know, to what extent do these economists think uh, they're maybe now controlling fiscal policy? I think that's an interesting thing to ponder too. We'll be back in just a bit. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode, so please send your questions to gortney.institute at gmail.com. The Gortney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing faith and economics in action. We have some great upcoming high school events. Uh, One we're right in the middle of, of the Bitcoin book club. Uh, We have some discussions going on surrounding Bitcoin. What is it? What does it mean? Should I invest in it? Uh, Dr. Peter Jacobson has an inflation talk coming up uh, where we're going to learn why is inflation important? Why do we care about it? And why the heck is it so high? And lastly, we have a a half-day session on a Saturday, everyday economics. Uh, If you have a high school, junior, senior, uh, parents are welcome to attend as well. Uh, Please check out our website at gortneyinstitute.org. Please visit our website. There you'll find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gortney Institute for updates on our activities and research. Okay, so we're back. So Peter and I were having a vicious confrontation where I think he's crazy that uh, fiscal policy, or I guess you said you were indifferent. I think fiscal policy is quite a bit more messed up. And so I would maybe fall a little bit more in line 
towards the Friedman camp that, well, let's, I mean, let's face it, Friedman camp is that let's keep all of it fairly limited. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, t- I would take Friedman if, over if, fiscal policy. Yeah. Sure. If I had to, if I had to choose, I would take monetary policy. So what, what were you thinking there? Yeah. I mean, I, I just have to know the details of the specific intervention. <laughs> so I, I think there's a good argument to be made that the dot-com bust post interest rate the, the Federal Reserve after the dot-com bust in the early 2000s lowered interest rates. I think there's a good case to be made that they actually caused the housing boom that eventually went bust in 2008 oh, yeah. Yeah. And so to me, that's one of the worst crises we've had in a very long time in this country. And that was caused, I think, pretty convincingly by monetary policy. Other people disagree with that and they think it was different fiscal policies or regulatory policies. We, we don't have to get in the weeds too much, but I think Monetary policy distorts in less obvious ways, but it still distorts, especially decisions over time is the problem with monetary policy. Yeah, and it so, does distort more things, I guess, more quickly in a sense. But Interest I, rates I, I, affecting so many things. I would agree that I think in general, the Federal Reserve aims to be less distortionary than politicians are interested in aiming. That doesn't mean they succeed. And I'm, I'm not saying all Federal Reserve chairs are perfectly like attempting to stabilize the economy, but I think there's at least... So there have historically, maybe not even anymore, but there's have been some limits on what the Fed will do for itself. Well, my big advocacy for the Fed has been to offset dumb things that come out of the president and the Congress side of the house. So in my efforts in believing that having some sort of fixed monetary policy and whether you want to go way back to a gold standard or with some sort of fixed increases was that if we handcuff the Federal Reserve they can't do things to offset stupidity that happened right. on fiscal policy. Because the way it's designed right now, if if a president does some sort of bonehead thing with uh, large deficits or dumb programs or whatever, the Fed can actually take counteractions to help stabilize the negative effect of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, And that's not great either. Yeah, that, unfortunately, that they're, more they're totally uncuffed, right? <laughs> uh, the, the Fed it pretends like it's following rules, but it, I, I yeah, yeah. it doesn't really. Yeah, um, yeah. The fact that we never had a serious, you know, ease off of monetary policy from 08 until the presence, kind of an indication to me that, you know, the the Fed's gone out of control a little bit. But I think I think regardless, the the movement towards fiscal policy is itself concerning. And I will say, if you're concerned about the monetary policy, Justin, luckily for you, economists are also changing their minds in a bad way on that. <laughs> and so let's let's talk about that a little bit. I actually want to target one of the things that Russ was just saying, because I think it's one of the more concerning things. So Russ is probably interested in this idea that if the Fed's going to do something, and I don't want to put words in his Russ's mouth, but they should try to stabilize the economy, like you're saying. So if the Fed is going to do anything at all, it's let's try to keep unemployment relatively low. Let's try to keep inflation from running out of control. Right, Russ? Uh, yeah, I would say inflation only. Actually. Infl- okay. All right. um, but but th- then the, the Fed started, of course, grabbing onto more things. Oh, inflation's been fine for years. Now we can, we're just worried about unemployment for a while. And then what's yeah. 7%? <laughs> yeah. No, I I, th- I agree with you, Russ, that if anything, inflation, and if you force me to say a second thing, I guess I would say actually employment, even though I don't believe they can do that. Yeah. So it's kind of like making me say, you know, which form of torture I prefer. Right, right. Yeah. But let, let's look at this statement. State Another statement that economists rest about is the Federal Reserve should focus on a low rate of inflation rather than other goals such as employment, economic growth, or asset bubbles. And yeah. so here is exactly what we're talking about. Russ said he preferred, and I would prefer too, that if the Federal Reserve is going to do anything, it just try to 
not let inflation run out of control, which again, I don't think it can do very well, but at least it's like a good thought. Well, 72% of economists agreed with that in the year 2000. Today, 38%. Unbelievable. So the biggest swing that we've talked about yet, you know, a vast consensus amongst economists that the Fed should not try to mess with employment to modern day where economists now believe a majority that the Fed should be actively involved in trying to change it. Here's the problem with that is it comes back to Mises and human action. It's boring to keep low inflation. Like they did, that was easy. Uh, So I think they actually, it's well within their power to keep inflation in check. But then what do they do at those meetings each time? And then it's like, ah, don't you think if we did, if we stimulated a little bit here, lower interest rates, even though inflation is good, that that'll put more people to work and that would be a good thing. We'll help society, you know, and it's just that human behavior of let's do something. I'm hired into this position and I don't want to be fired and I don't want people to think I'm insignificant. So let's make sure we're doing something. And, And that leads to where I think all of those uh, secondary targets have led to what's happening today. Yeah. Okay. Let me jump in here. Yeah. Peter's article, which is a wonderful article, right? And you should go read it. He talks about this recent Nobel laureate who said economists should be like plumbers, right? (laughs) And what she meant by that is economists should tinker. They should tinker with the economy. But that is not what plumbers do. Plumbing is boring. (laughs) Once you have your plumbing fixed, it's fixed. And you don't hire another plumber to come over and tinker with your plumbing to see if they can make your house any better. Get that flow up that a little is bit. not plumbing, right? When you have a plumbing problem, you have a disaster and you need somebody to come over and make your plumbing boring again. Uh, so I just think that, again, look at Peter's article because he, he breaks this down very clearly. Like, the plumbing analogy does not go the way that the Nobel laureate thinks it does. And if we are serious about economics being plumbing, by the way, there's a great article called Philosophy as Plumbing by Mary Midgley, where she talks about you know the analogy between philosophy as plumbing too, mm. just that it's necessary and you need to have it in good working order. And uh, you know, if you pro- if you try to do it yourself, you might get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but this this idea that plumbers ought to be tinkerers is it yeah. just it sounds like somebody who has never actually who doesn't know what plumbing is talking <laughs> right. about plumbing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she blew it on that one for sure. Yeah, no, I and all around we we see and the reason Duflo is brought up is all of these questions point in the same direction. All the this the survey with few exceptions is here's other ways that we think that economists should have more of a say. And the market, and by the market, I mean literally everybody else who isn't politicians and economists, right? That's what the market is. The market should have less of a say. This is the theme of all of these. And so it's not limited to the things we've talked about. By the way, economists also believe the Fed can be much better at controlling inflation now. They were asked about that more than in the 90s. Economists believe, yeah, the Fed can do it. So not only should they do it, but they can do it. We believe that too. So not only is the Fed, you know, something we should use, but it's also better than we thought it was. And so you should use monetary policy and fiscal policy, and we're yeah. going to be really good at it. Yeah. So, some other surprising things that we've seen. Wait, from- before before you leave that, I want to just tie this back to the human action thing, because I can't get off of that. So who does the politician call when they want some advice? Do they call the Peter, Dr. Jacobson, what should I do with the economy? Don't do anything, right? The kind of do nothing, don't disturb the status quo, basically this is let's let's keep things real stable or do they call paul krugman who says oh yeah uh, lower the interest rates 
stimulate this. And, and then all of a sudden they have action, right? And so now Krugman's the one getting the calls from the politicians, not Dr. Jacobson. And that gives them a little prestige we were talking about before, a little, a little bit of pride that they got quoted that they were saying this. And it all is just self-reinforcing and it's, it's kind of awful. And so I see those, uh, that data changing in, from, your, from your report in that it's self-reinforcing. And so now they want to be, those economists want to be the ones who get that phone call. And they know that more action means they'll get more phone calls and well, publications or otherwise. You're exactly right, Russ. One of my PhD, well, my, my main dissertation advisor, Chris Coyne, who we had on the podcast actually a couple months back, likes to bring up Hayek's argument about liberty, which is that we're in a very awkward position when we try to advocate for liberty because the people who advocate for planning uh, can bring forward what they believe are, they might not actually be right, but what they believe are very clear benefits that will result from planning. And so if you let me interfere with the economy, I can give you low inflation and low unemployment. And so I go, oh, that sounds really great. I like low unemployment and I like low inflation. Let's do those things. What does liberty give you? Does liberty give you low unemployment? No, not always. The market through creative destruction, for example, could lead to really high unemployment in certain periods. It's absolutely possible. And so what benefits do we promise, Hayek argued, when we are promising liberty? And the answer is we actually can't say. That's like the whole point of liberty is that like people are going to create things that we can't imagine and that we're not smart enough to do ourselves. That's the beauty of liberty. But that makes it a very hard case because yeah. what people do we promise like you? I, I don't know. Good things. Like this is what we're <laughs> promising you. It's like good things will happen. Yeah. And it's, it's not a convincing answer for a lot of people. And even if it has happened for the last 100, 200 years consistently, and we look at humanity over each decade, that the improvements that we've had in various things, kind of a Julian Simon argument, that's not good enough. It's like, oh, but it would be better if we, we can tinker, we can make it a little, there's always just yeah. this, this potential improvement uh, moving forward. So I think this looks like a good spot. There's a couple other things. Let's turn this into a part two. Um, we've got some issues of wealth distribution and, and faith in just markets in general. Justin, did you have th something to bring up to? Sure. We've talked about that these opinions have changed. Maybe we should talk about why they have changed. It's not like that those uh, incentives weren't operative in the past either. So yeah. um, maybe we can try to figure out what is different now now rather than then. All right. Well, we will be back for part two to continue on this discussion. This has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us and otherwise pass it along to your friends and family via email or other communication devices. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. <laughs>